0: Reading from Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, Steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, he will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to the one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. But now... You have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all mortals. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. The word of the Lord.
1: Let's now stand together for the gospel reading. The Lord be with you, and also with you. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Would you pray with me? God, in light of the great mystery of the love that you have for us revealed in Jesus Christ. I do not know how to speak, for I am just a young man. Let me speak only what you command and only what you wish. Send your Holy Spirit to us now and open the scriptures to us, that they may be our steadfast foundation and our bread for today in the wilderness. Show us your faithfulness and loving kindness. Let us know you as we hear your word for us this morning. Let me speak now in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. What do we do when God seems to fail us? And what happens when we spend our lives faithfully serving God and continue to endure loss and sorrow? What if we pray for something so earnestly, pouring ourselves out daily and asking God to answer us, and we're left in silence? And we sit in the tension between believing that God will hear and help us and waiting for it to happen. And it puts us in a weird place, this tension. And thankfully, the church has given us the season of Advent to go through that as a community. Because we hear the news building up to the incarnation of Christ, the coming of the Messiah, yet in real time, we wait for his coming again. And in the middle of this space, Advent becomes a sort of already, but not yet. And there are lots of places in the world that we might look and see this tension play out. Our children and young people, myself included in this, are facing record high levels of anxiety and depression. People are starving all over the world. War, violence, racial tension, ecological devastation, these things surround us on every side. And weirdly enough, we even commemorate the birth of a God who came to us as a poor man by buying products built at the expense of his children. And in the middle of that, Jesus promises us a future without sadness. He promises a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible even tells us that there is no Jew or Gentile in Christ, meaning there are no longer racial divisions in Jesus. So why doesn't the world look the way that it should? What can a psalm speaking about the steadfast faithfulness and loving kindness of God teach us in a world like this? If we look at the opening lines, the psalmist says, I will sing of your steadfast love forever. With my mouth I will proclaim your faithfulness. I declare that your steadfast love is established forever and is as firm as the heavens. The psalmist moves from this kind of praise language to talking about God's, covenant promise to David. God promises David that his descendants will endure forever and that David is God's anointed one. David's throne is compared to the enduring witness of the sun and the moon. All of this is called in to testify to God's unfailing and enduring covenant. Which is all really nice and comforting, and we can sort of pat ourselves on the back and go home. But unfortunately, the psalmist says more. The psalmist responds to what God promises David and the people of Israel by saying, You have renounced the covenant with your servant, you've defiled his crown in the dust. Because what the psalmist is experiencing that we don't know just by looking at the text is the Jewish exile. The temple has been destroyed. The Davidic king has been cast down. And what remains of Israel is a scattered people. Pathetic. Mocked. All around. They go into pagan lands where the statues of other gods tower over them. I expect in light of that reality, the psalmist's words in verse 7 have a real bitterness to them. Walking by these statues of gods as a conquered people, the psalmist says, what is he among the gods? That shall be like unto the Lord. And there might be a temptation creeping in now for us as we hear this psalm, and we might want to ignore that pain. Because historically, Christians have seen this moment of covenant collapse and read this psalm as being fulfilled in Christ. And as we approach Christmas, we'll hear in Matthew and Luke about the genealogy of Jesus as being descended from David. But the psalmist doesn't know that. And the psalmist doesn't live to see that fulfilled. The psalmist watches everything that God said that God would do, not happen. So the psalmist throws God's words back at him in rage and demands that God give an answer. God says David's throne will endure. The psalmist looks at the world around him and says, prove it. In verse 3 and 4, God says, Steadfast love will be built up forever. I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David my servant. The psalmist responds in verse 39 and says, You've renounced the covenant with your servant. You've defiled his crown in the dust. God says in verse 23 and 24, I'll crush his foes before him, and I'll strike down those who hate him. In my name shall his horn be exalted. The psalmist says, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? Remember how we're mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations. Remember how short my time is for what vanity you have created all the children of man. Which is another way of saying, or have you made us for nothing? Think about that pain, that fury, and disappointment. What's loving about a God who has brought his own people to ruin. What's steadfast about a covenant that seems to be broken? And at this point, we might get real self-righteous and Christiany and say, well, you know what, like, just hang in there, friend. You know, God will show up. Or we might say, maybe you shouldn't talk to God like that. Seems a little disrespectful. Show a little bit of respect. Have a little bit more faith. After all, we've got Jesus, right? So we always respond to our hardships way better than the psalmist, right? We've all been there. But pay attention to what happens next. After all this complaining, after all of this grief... The end of the psalm comes and he says, Blessed be the Lord forever and ever. And how does he say this after he's just let out all of this rage and disappointment and expressed his hurt? Nothing about the situation has changed. He does this because there's nothing left. He's emptied himself completely out. And he takes God to the task as the only one who can fix the situation that he's in. Empty of everything else, he turns to praise. Because when he's poured himself out, there is no wall anymore between him and God. He's not hiding behind his religiosity, or his sentiment. And this reveals something important to us. The theologian Stanley Hauerwas says that the Psalms teach us to be honest when we pray, because it's only in the Psalms that we see our rage against God expressed, and in that rage we discover the God who refuses to abandon us. As the psalmist empties himself out, he returns to the only source of his comfort. And it kind of flies in the face of what we often tend to do when we experience suffering in our life, or we see suffering in the world, or we, someone comes to us and they're unburdening themselves and looking for counsel. We often respond with platitudes or easy solutions. Well, if your life is hard, here's five Bible verses that will neatly wrap up this moment so that I don't have to enter into this pain with you. We tell each other, you just need a little bit more faith. And we try to ignore the fact that we're suffering just like everyone else. And when we fail to be honest with God, to let everything be known, and to be honest with each other, we lose the, the opportunity to be really available. We offer only a half-shell. When we do this in our churches, we lose the opportunity to do what we're called to do, to bear each other up. And if we can't be honest with God in our suffering, if we can't say how we're really feeling, and we can't be honest with each other, then we can't look at what's going on in the world and be honest. And what could we possibly gain by not being honest with the God who knows all that we are? The thoughts of our hearts. And what benefit do we get by not leaning on our Christian siblings? Why are we so afraid to admit to ourselves to the God who made us and each other, that our lives aren't all that put together. And I think one reason for this is that we can't stand the truth of God. We can't bear to think that after all the ways that we build ourselves up, All the kingdoms that we establish ourselves in, the words that we say to ourselves, the jobs that we have, the security that we attain through our own strength, that we're not enough. And that if we really tell God how we feel, he'll leave us alone that our mess might be too much for him because we might have experienced vulnerability to another person and they've said it's too much i've seen this thing in you and i don't like it we don't like the notion that in the midst of our dysfunction and sin that god would call us home There's an image that many of you might be familiar with if you have kids, or most of you, uh, hopefully at one point in your life, have been a child, uh, (laughs) where there's fresh cookies on the stove, right? And, you know, read in whatever sweet you liked when you were a kid. And they've just come out of the oven, and the parent says, don't take the cookie, And sure enough, they leave the room and then they come back in and, you know, there are five cookies in the kid's mouth and then they're reaching for another one and they sort of have this deer in the headlights moment where, you know, and they freak out, they run off. They're afraid of the anger, the consequences, the shame of admitting that they've done something wrong. We all kind of experience either all of this or maybe some of it. You run to your room and hide and your parents come into the room and you start crying and making promises. I'll never do it again, I swear. You've still got half a cookie in your hand. <laughs> and at this point, you know, you might have had different responses in my house to use the parlance. We were going to get a whooping and it was no, you know, sort of resolution outside of that. Or maybe our parents scooped us up and held us close and said, It's okay, I forgive you, and I love you. And it's that response that shows us something of the loving kindness of God. Because when we run and hide ourselves from God, when we mask our pain and sorrow in light of his seeming failure to answer us, we only prolong the opportunity to receive the love and forgiveness that God is always ready to give us. He's more ready to forgive than we are even to ask for forgiveness. And what do we lose by not sharing our pain with each other except to see one another and say, I love you. I've been there too. I'm with you. We miss out on the phone calls and the crying sessions and the warm hugs and kindness and moments to vent. All those things that happen when we hold each other up. And when we share ourselves with each other, we gain solidarity and community. We become a family. In hiding ourselves from each other and God, we can't look at the injustice in the world and say, I get it. I live here too. Things aren't the way that they should be, and I'm upset about it. And when we address these injustices head-on, we have the strength of God behind us to challenge the powers of darkness and cast them down at the feet of the God who's already conquered them. We have the incredible opportunity to be agents of change and reconciliation by being willing to step out and speak something new into the face of what we see in front of us. And you you might be thinking now, like, all right, this is all good and well, but my life still sucks and the world still sucks and I'm stuck in this tension and so is the psalmist and he's asking about it. So where is the fulfillment? Where is the love? Scripture never really takes it easy on us. And Romans comes in and says, God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because the fulfillment of this tension and the revelation of God's loving kindness is given to us in the, per- the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as we look forward to the coming of Christ at Christmas, let's take a look at the real reason for the season Let's see Jesus there at Gethsemane. And hear how he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He looks before him and sees his humiliation, his vulnerability, his sacrifice. He asks even for a way out. And he spent his entire life waiting for this moment. And I'm sure that if you knew your life in this way, you'd run, you'd hide. But Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus lives and he makes friends and he laughs and he goes to weddings and he cries when his friends die. He opens himself up to feeling and experiencing it all. And he falls on his face and says, nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. So he lays himself completely out. He chooses what's ahead anyway. And he chooses it because this is the means in which he is to secure for us our salvation. It's worth more to him to suffer and die so that he can call us children, so that we can call each other brother and sister, so that he can plead for us. In his vulnerability and self-emptying, he tears down the curtain in the temple And he ensures that God is available to us and that we can be available to God. He does what we cannot do ourselves. And in doing so, he demonstrates God's deliverance, not just for us, but for Israel. Jesus fulfills the Davidic covenant. He delivers Israel from their sin. And the psalmist points us right to this. In verse 26, he says, He will say, My God, my Father. Or in 27, I'll make him the firstborn, the highest king of all the kings. And each of us sits here today In different seasons, in different places, and we all experience tension and pain at different times. And wherever you are this morning, you are not alone. And whatever you're dealing with, Jesus is the fulfillment of that desire that you have, that thing that you have pleaded so earnestly for. He's the only means in which there is deliverance, even as we wait to see it happen. When we ask where the love of God is in the world, we can look to God only because of Jesus. When our neighbor is suffering and waiting for God to deliver them, we can be the love of God to them. And when we see the suffering of our broken world, we can plead the blood of Jesus over it and step out and get to work. All of this, because in our mess, God refuses to abandon us. He chooses to empty himself out and become a little baby, to trust a young woman to take care of him, to make friends, to love and die so that death Will have no say over us. So, what do we do while we wait? In this tension between this thing that we need God to show up and do in our lives, while we wait for Jesus to come to us at Christmas, to come again at the last day. For God's sake, we live. We live with complete and utter abandonment to the overwhelming love of God, who loved us so much that he would not leave us orphans. We pray, we pour ourselves out to God, to each other, to our neighbor. In the middle of this tension, we are called for a purpose, to empty ourselves, to love wildly and with honesty. Not obsess over moral checklists or be sour, stuffy people who don't laugh, cry, or have bad days. Christians aren't just people who exist to be happy-go-lucky, friendly folks who don't do all the fun stuff everyone else gets to do. We're called to love in a way that is true. Because that's the way that God loves us. We're called to look at sorrow and anguish and fear in the world and in our lives and laugh and cry and rage in the face of it because we know a better truth. The psalmist shows us that we're not to shy away from it, that we're to throw it back at God who is the only means of deliverance. When we do this, it clears out the space between us. Between our neighbor. Between the world. Between God. And will we take a chance on this God. Who refuses to leave us in our mess. Will we make room in our lives For this God and for each other. For the sake of the world I hope that we will. And I hope it may be said of us that blessed are the people who know the festal shout. Who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. Who exalt in your name all the day long. And in your righteousness are exalted for you are the glory of their strength. Blessed be the Lord God forevermore. Amen and amen.
0: You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.